Hello and welcome back to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. It is still, as we're recording this, the middle of summer. I am still taking two or three showers a day because 80 degrees sounds like a lovely, cool fall day at this point um, down here in the in the great state of Alabama. It is nothing but humid, sunny, and hot, and there's no end in sight. So moving the last few weeks has been so much fun as I've been <laughs> lifting washers and dryers and De- uh, well, not desks, hence why I'm not using a desk, but that's neither here nor there. I am super tired and sore and sweaty, but that's just sort of how it feels to live down here recently. But um, once again, as I mentioned last week, I am still in the process of setting up my new recording space. So, you know, Grace says my not so good audio gets probably worser you know, peek, these, you know, peek behind the curtain. Technically, that was two weeks ago. By the time this episode comes out, this is for you and me. This is dropping. Oh, that's in two true. Weeks. That's true. Ooh, ah, <laughs> oh, time, <laughs> time. Uh, um, is, well, time is strange when you run a podcast. Here, here in the future, there in the future, here in the in the whatever, we are uh, <laughs> having a, a pretty. Um, I don't know the word. It's not really new. But that's apparently only for people who have been here for a year or longer, um, or I guess a year and two weeks at this point, according to your (laughs) calculations uh, before we started recording. We are bringing back Christians of History, which is fun and exciting. Uh, That's definitely, that was, for those of you who don't remember, that was the first sort of series we did. We would release it as a second episode, shorter episode. We alternated prepping um, for a brief biographical sort of overview of some Christian from history. Um, we sort of stopped doing that. We've There's been once or twice where we've done it in a different format, and we're bringing it back semi-regularly in a different format. So if you really loved the way we did it before, we're sorry. We are bringing it back. We are at going to consciously and specifically be doing Christian of History episodes in our rotation um, as regularly as we feel like doing them. They're going to be Tuesday episodes, and they're going to be a little bit longer form. And in order to do that in a way that makes the most sense, we're going to approach it instead of alternating where I have a Christian of History that I prep for, do a bunch of research, and lead a discussion on. We're going to be working together Uh, to cover, hopefully, the idea is we'll be able to cover more ground of somebody's life and thought and work because we're both uh, sharing instead of just one of us. Uh, And like I said, that's going to be just a regular Tuesday episode. So this is dropping on a regular Tuesday. Um, Not to be too, you know, administrative and and, uh, um, housekeeping, you know, bogged down by housekeeping in the beginning. But uh, we do also want to say that this Christian of history, who we're talking about uh, today, or two weeks in the future, uh, is Carl Rahner, who is a name that if you've spent time studying theology, you've been in Bible college, you've been in seminary, you've read um, 
theological works that are that are especially any, any kind of academic theological work. I'm sure you've at least come across that name. Um, and diving into the life of Karl Rahner uh, was recommended to us by a Roman Catholic listener who suggested Karl Rahner um, as one potentially excellent entry point into spending a little bit more time with uh, especially more recent Roman Catholic thought. It's not something that we've shied away from, but it's not something that we've, I think, consciously pursued. So I think diving into what seems to me to be the Roman Catholic theologian slash philosopher of the 20th century seems like a pretty good um, way to, to try and shore up that, that gap that we've got. And one thing I will say, um, this Carl is sort of the Roman version of another Carl that we've talked about uh, on a Christians of History episode, who has continued to be, I believe, without exception, every month in nearly two years since we talked about him, the most listened to or at least most downloaded episode that we've got. And I'm talking about the the Protestant theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth. So something about the name Carl. I'm still trying to convince Elaine to let me name my son <laughs> Carl. Uh, she's not going for it, but uh, maybe we'll get there by the time the opportunity comes around. Um, but anyway, kind of a long-winded intro. Got some housekeeping to get out of the way, but that's what we're doing today. Talking about Carl Rahner. Um, if you don't know who he is, you've come to the right place. If you do know who he is, welcome. Correct us if we're wrong about anything, um, but we'll get to that at the end. So... Kicking off the actual conversation, can you start us off with sort of who Father Rahner was, uh, what he was all about, where he came from, what he did, all of that good stuff? For sure, yeah. And I just, before I do that, I also wanted to give that shout out. His name was Christopher, I believe. Uh, he emailed way back in April. Um, sorry it took us so long to get around to doing this episode, but we just wanted to say that uh, well, one, thank you, but two, that it, it took a little bit of extra time to, to do some prepping and to do some reading, and with our just regular lives being chaotic, it seems like the last couple of months, it took longer than we expected, but but here we are. We hope that you're listening and enjoying. Uh, but yes, Carl Rahner, uh, he was born March 5th, 1904. Uh, he was born specifically in Friedberg, which was a state in the German Empire, uh, he passed away March 30th of 1984 in Innsbruck, Austria. So if you can do math, he was 80 years old and like 20 days. Um, he was a, a German Jesuit priest who is widely considered to have been one of the foremost Roman Catholic theologians of the 20th century, as Lucas alluded to. He is probably both. Uh, he's probably best known for his work in Christology and for his integration of an existential philosophy of personalism with Thomistic realism, by which human self-consciousness and uh, and self-transcendence are placed within a sphere in which the ultimate determinant is God. Um, very uh, verbose there. I do apologize, but that's sort of like. That's that's his primary work, his primary focus, a lot of what he 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 dealt with. And truthfully, as Lucas also alluded to, uh, we are not Catholic theologians. We are not even, you know, Catholic per se, um, at least not Roman Catholic. Uh, and so to, to try to 
to still the life of Carl Rahner into about a 30-minute podcast episode was incredibly difficult. Uh, perhaps in the future, uh, he'll be an entire month or something. Maybe we'll devote a, a, a themed month to Carl Rahner and his works. Uh, but for the sake of this episode, we have chosen uh, brevity. So anyway, his parents, Carl and Luis, uh, had seven children. Uh, Carl was the fourth. His father was a professor in a local college. His mother's religious influence in the home resulted in an atmosphere that was both open and pious. Uh, Carl attended primary and secondary school in Freeburg, which seems to have had a reputation of being tolerant and liberal-minded. Uh, Carl decided to enter the Society of Jesus upon graduation and uh, began in the North German province of the Jesuits on April 20th, blaze up, 1922. Maybe we'll get that part out of there. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that, that was a, 4, a 420 joke. I apologize. I probably just, everyone just turned off. They're not listening anymore. Sorry. Mr. Rahner joined this order <laughs> April 20th, 1922, uh, four years after his older brother Hugo entered the same order. So during the initial phase here, so 1920 to 1924, uh, Rahner was deeply affected by the spirituality of Ignatius of uh, Loyola, which I believe the college that we lived near in, um, in Chicago was named after such a man. So he was he was highly affected by this man's spirituality, his 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 personal life, his prayer life, uh, all, all that sort of thing. So um, really, that later this was like to permeate his his whole theological ideas, his his whole theological pro- program, especially the notion of quote finding God in all things. So. Karl Rahner's education during the next phase uh, included an introduction to the Catholic scholastic philosophy and modern German philosophers. Uh, He seemed to especially have been interested in Immanuel Kant and two contemporary Thomists, which were Joseph Maracale, I'm so sorry if I butchered that, and Pierre Rousselot. Uh, uh, these latter two were to influence his understanding, too, uh, of Thomas Aquinas, as well as to offer a way to deal with Kant's transcend, uh, transcendental method of, in relation to Thomistic epistemology. I feel like everything I'm saying is very verbose, and again, I do apologize. Um, but before before diving into some of his works, I will say... Uh, that Lucas is going to dedicate much of his time to a particular work, like one 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 specific work. So I'm just going to highlight just a couple of uh, broad brush broad brushstroke works as well. So um, among the most important of his essays was the Trinity. Uh, this is what Lucas is going to touch on, so I'm not going to go into great detail. Um, but essentially, he argues that the economic Trinity is the imminent Trinity, and the and the imminent Trinity is the economic Trinity. Again, Lucas will go deeper uh, into those details. Um, another thing that uh, that Rahner taught and maintained was that the fulfillment of human existence consists in receiving God's self-communication and that the human being is actually constituted by this divine self-communication. So he identifies grace with the self-communication of God. So in this vein, he writes, and this is a quote directly from him, God wishes to communicate himself, to pour forth the love which he himself is. That is the first and the last of his real plans, and hence of, uh, of his real world too. 
Everything else exists so that this one thing might be the eternal miracle of infinite love. And so God makes a creature whom he can love. He creates man. He creates him in such a way that he can receive this love, which God is himself, and that he can and must at the same time accept it for what it is, the ever-astounding wonder, the unexpected, the unexacted gift. Thus, in, in this second respect, God must so create man that love does not pour forth free and unexacted, but also that man, as real partner, as one who can accept or reject it can experience and accept it as an unexacted event and wonder not owed to him, the real man. Um, so pretty, pretty interesting theological framework there. Um, and sort of lastly here, uh, this, this is just hitting on some of the other, other bits of his thought and his theology. Uh, Rahner has been open to the prospect of extra extraterrestrial intelligence so not necessarily just extraterrestrial life, you know, that there's, you know, plants and algae and little microorganisms or something, but uh, extraterrestrial intelli- intelligence um, and that the idea that cosmic evolution has yielded sentient life forms in other galaxies. So pretty intriguing to me. I'm, I'd love to do an episode on something like that. Uh, I also, you know, in light of some of these recent... Um, uh, like I forget the name of the telescope. I apologize, but right about a month ago, there was a a, a recent batch of of um, you know photos taken from deep space from this telescope. You know, you're seeing nebulas and galaxies and all sorts of just crazy things in in a higher resolution with with more clarity than we've ever had before with with stuff like the Hubble telescope. And so, like you know, I, I I'm looking at these photos and I'm like, man the sheer size of the the universe the galaxy the cosmos like it is just it makes you feel so small and and seemingly insignificant but again as Carl Rahner said God created man uh, to love man as an extension of him being love um, but then this idea of well how, how could we be the only ones out there well Carl Rahner has some stuff to say about that and so logically though this raises for Rahner, some important questions of philosophical, ethical, and theological significance. Because if there are other sentient life forms, you know, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for God? Um, so he argues against any theological prohibition of the notion of extraterrestrial life, but at the same time, separating the uh, the um, existential significance of such forms. Um, from that of angels. I mean, in a sense, angels are also, you could say, extraterrestrial. Um, so Rahner advances the possibility of, uh, this is also getting pretty pretty crazy, but uh, at, at some places, Rahner advances the possibility of multiple incarnations, um, but again, not necessarily on Earth, but in these other galaxies or, or whatever. Um, but he doesn't go that deep into it. So, um, doesn't really seem like a strong thing that he's staking any claims on, but I think it's more along the lines of like, well, if there's extraterrestrial life that's sentient and if it's evolved similarly to how our world has evolved, uh, like perhaps there were two incarnations. I don't know what to make of that. Again, I just thought I, I, I saw some of these things, they were interesting to me. So I thought I'd bring them up. 
Um, so that's more or less what I have to say on Carl Rahner. Um, again, very high level, can't go too deep into some of the weeds there, but we, we were able to highlight who he is, uh, sort of his main focuses or foci, um, looking at his early life, his, his studies. And so now we're going to dive specifically into a, a specific work. Um, and Lucas will give us the, uh, the details there. So I'm going to kick it over to you, man. I think without even taking the time to dive into all of the works and ideas that you bring up, like I think it shows how broad his work was, not just, not just deep, and how important his thought is because it touches on so much. And, you know, especially with, you know, his lifetime, living through both world wars, living through a lot of technological advances and changes with within um, not just European society where he was physically located, but all over the world, as well as cultural changes. And of course, the Second Vatican Council in the in the 1960s sort of you know, I don't know about the height of his career, but but by the time of the council, he's 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 definitely established in a the, as a theologian and and had some influence there. And and just you can see how um, how huge of an influence somebody like him, a mind like his, is able to have uh, in the time and the place and the kind of writing that he's doing. But most especially, I think, and perhaps, perhaps maybe not most interesting out of everything or most significant out of everything that he's written, but something that I think is definitely of core significance. And I think that if you're going to interact with Carl Rahner, you you, you uh, really have to do this because of how core of a doctrine it is, but also just because of how influential um, this work and the ideas that he puts forward have been on so many different thinkers. Um, that's his work on the Trinity. Um, so I always thought that that reading Carl Rahner's book on the Trinity was going to be this big, huge, like, slog through a 500-page tome translated from German, but it turns out it's actually a pretty short book. It's, like, 120 pages, and the copy I got from the library was, like, physically short, too, like, not, you know, like, small paper size. So it really didn't take that long to get through, and uh, the translation was was fairly readable as well. But it's interesting to look at such a, you know, I guess you could say like deceptively small book just called The Trinity, um, and to, to think about the, the, uh, the different influences that I've seen it have, um, because I, I can remember all the way back in, in undergrad, uh, probably not till till Cis Theo, but it seems like whenever I pick up a book that is talking about the Trinity, that is talking about theology, that's that's um, reckoning with any of the you know modern era theological developments, there's some reference to this theological axiom that comes from Rahner's book on the Trinity. The economic Trinity is the imminent Trinity, and the imminent Trinity is the economic Trinity. And that, you know, that's continued. I, I just this past semester in my theology classes at Beeson, I was, you know, we were reading Jürgen Moltmann and, and he was quoting him. And, you know, I, you know, I, uh, uh, shoot, what's, what's his name? Um, the, the system, the one volume systematic that Crossway put out that we reference all the time, Robert, Robert Lethem. Is it Robert? Robert Lethem. Lethem. As soon as you said Robert, I, I was also like, holy cow, we have not 
first of all, we have not said his name on air in a long time, despite that we used to always say it. <laughs> but yes, Robert Lethem's one volume. Thank you, Lethem. So yeah, yeah, no, it, it's in there, um, and everything in between. Uh, and I just think that shows without even getting into what it is, you can you can if you spend time in theological literature from the past 50 years you will come across this whether or not the person you're reading likes it or doesn't like it or is getting into it or is just referencing it it's difficult to talk about the trinity post Karl Rahner without dealing with what Karl Rahner had to say about it and that's really interesting because it shows how significant he is but also if you're a Christian theologian you're probably going to talk about the Trinity at some point, <laughs> even if you don't write a whole book on it. It's kind of a big deal for Christian theology. Um, and if you don't believe me, I'm sure you can find plenty of episodes we've done, or if you just search the Trinity in your favorite podcast player, you'll find plenty of other episodes that plenty of other people have done talking about the Trinity and how important it is and how it's really the center of, of uh, the existence of everything. But besides all of that, the core thing to take away is this this famous or perhaps infamous axiom that the economic trinity is the imminent trinity so the economic trinity refers to god as he is in terms of his interactions with the created world with humanity and the imminent trinity refers to god as he is in himself so as christians we are trinitarian so when we're talking about god as he is in himself, we're not talking about a solitary monad kind of God. We're talking about a God who is Trinity. And same with in terms of his interactions with us in time and history and the plan of salvation. Um, we're talking about this Trinity. And on the face of it, this seems like, to me, a very kind of wonky, bad idea to, to put an equal sign between these two things. Um, the most obvious sort of way to get at why I think that is, is Jesus has a human body, that the incarnation is something that took place in the economy of salvation. It took place in history at a certain time, at a certain place for the specific purpose of working out God's plan of salvation to deal with sin uh, in order to reconcile humanity to himself, right? It's, it's comes from who God is in himself in terms of God loving humanity, God being holy, just, all of those things. But the actual like event of the incarnation, at least from our perspective, just kind of put that caveat, it, it, it's very much an economic event, not an imminent event. So if you want to say because of the incarnation or after the incarnation um, or as a result of the incarnation, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, has a human body. Uh, to me, if you first hear it, you might think, okay, well, economic trinity is imminent trinity. So that means that the second person of the trinity has a human body within the trinity itself. Like that's, that's a feature of God as he is in himself is that the second person has a human body. And to me, that's, that, that opens up a whole host of, que of questions and problems pretty quickly in terms of, well, did he... Did the second person of the Trinity have that human body but prior to the incarnation? Uh, if if so, then you know where did it where did it come from? What is the incarnation? Why do we confess that uh, he became incarnate by the Virgin Mary if he already had a human body? 
did he have a human body before the creation of humanity or of matter or everything? I don't see how that works. Okay, maybe he had a human body after the incarnation, and now it's a part of the imminent trinity. Well, then are we messing with, with you know, immutability? Are we saying that God, as he is in himself, changed at the event of the incarnation? And maybe you're going to want to answer these questions in a way that, that, you know, you're like, yeah, he did change. Or, yeah, he always had a human body. You know, matter is eternally existent. And if you want to do that, you start getting into just questions where you're changing very traditional um, not just Christian, but especially Christian teachings and understandings of how the world works, who God is, how God is, and all that stuff. So I went into this book kind of thinking like, knowing I was knowing that this was this was the line that that Ronner takes, and thinking, how is he gonna make this make sense? And by the time I was like halfway through the book, I was like, oh, I totally agree with Ronner. This is great. Everybody should be using this. And it's not because I changed my mind drastically. But it's because, and this was a really good lesson for me in terms of uh, not judging a book by its uh, cover or judging a book by other people quoting it. <laughs> because when you just quote, the economic trinity is the imminent trinity, like obviously that's the quote, that's the summary, that, that's sort of the, 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 the one sentence teaching that Ronner's getting at. But he spends the rest of the book explaining it. <laughs> and I, like it seems so obvious, like duh. But I, was, I, was, I realized that he is trying to get at certain questions that um, are, I think, especially obvious to him being in a Roman Catholic context, but is certainly not uh, foreign to those of us uh, from Protestant traditions or, or Orthodox traditions, um, which is how, what do, we, what do we make of God as he has revealed himself to us in Scripture, in Christ, in our lives, in the church, in the spirit, in the sacraments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and God as he as he is in himself. What what can we say about God as he as he is in himself? This this eternal, preeminent, infinite being, the divine being, who you know exists in himself before all times, creator of everything. How how can we speak of that God based on his dealings with us in space and time and history? in the economic plan of redemption. And the basic the basic idea that Ronner's getting at is the reason that we can know things about God, we can know God truly, not completely, but we can truly say that we have knowledge of God, despite the fact that we are finite created beings and he is an infinite creator and all of those things that separate us from him, precisely because what God reveals to us through economic means like um, the uh, the old the old covenant um, temple sacrifice system and the law, the dealings with Israel and with the nations uh, in the ancient Near East, with the coming of Israel's Messiah being the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Christ his dealings uh, with the church, you know, creating the church at Pentecost and and the giving of the spirit, how he teaches us and comes to us and reveals himself to us in the preaching of the word, um, you know, the existence of the word itself uh, written in scripture, all those things. The reason that, that we can say that that is a true revelation of God that gives us true knowledge of God is because he is not revealing something to us 
that is arbitrary or it's just made up or it's somehow disconnected. It's just sort of like he's kind of giving us an analogy that isn't really connected to him, but it's a way we can understand something about him. So he kind of goes with it. But no, we're actually able to say something like God is love and that be a true statement about God as he is in himself. We can't necessarily fully unpack what it looks like for God as he is in as he is in himself to be love, but we can know and faithfully and confidently proclaim that that is a true statement, a true aspect of knowledge of God, because the economic revelation of, for example, Jesus being born of a woman, living, dying under Pontius Pilate, raising again, um, and doing that for human redemption, for payment of sins, propitiation, uniting us to, to himself through the spirit and all that stuff is actually, it's the same Trinity, right? It's the same God. The God that we see in his economic dealings with us is the God who is the creator who has eternally existed and all of that. It's not to say that there is, that there's no, uh, we could say, distinction between God's life in himself and God's life in relation to us. Um, But those distinctions don't represent some kind of disconnect. Another way that I might rephrase, not that I have any, you know, (laughs) right to do such a thing, but another another implication of Rahner's statement that I might want to highlight is um, what he's really getting at is that we know, we can know that God has revealed himself to us because the things that God shows us, show uh, the, how did I phrase that? The things that God shows us about himself are, are, are actually, truly things about God himself. And the connection between the economic Trinity and the imminent Trinity is that, and ultimately this is all founded on Christ uniting divine and human natures in himself, um, which just highlights that Christological focus that that you mentioned and that that I think um, I definitely am a big fan of. Um, it, it all rests on Christ being that in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, the actual transcendent trinity, the imminent trinity, is revealed to us faithfully and truly through these economic means. And that ultimately is a really important teaching because otherwise you start getting into questions about what's the connection between, you know, the oneness of God and the threeness of God or um, God as infinite and God as, you know, baby in a manger born to save us. Um, And you can go on and on and on about, about these, these questions that, that scripture presents that you might not be able to understand how pieces fit together because once you start to recognize the true transcendence of God, as he is in himself, it gets a lot more complicated to understand how can I, as a finite, limited creature, claim, or even even more than that, just epistemologically, how can I possibly even begin to know any anything about that God? Uh, and the, the the answer to that question is, in my you know, I think Rahner presents a good answer in his axiom to that question on the basis of. God's revelation of himself in the economy of salvation being a, a, uh, a faithful and true revelation of who he actually is, even if it's through economic means. And there, there are analogies, you know, we talk, you talk about God, um, 
in the Psalms, especially things like being under the shadow of God's wings and stuff. Okay, does that mean God had, has wings that you sit under? I mean, no, at least not in any way that I can see or have ever seen happening. Um, it's So again, it's not like we're getting this by, by looking at, at God in the economy. We're not looking, you know, face to face with just the bare reality of God as he is in himself. But we're not looking at some, you know, per, like Wizard of Oz thing where he's off behind the curtain, the real God, and we're just looking at a an imaginary presentation that doesn't actually correspond to that real God. And I think that that, that is an extremely important contribution for understanding um, the relationship between God as he is in himself and God as he is in relation to us, as well as offering some some serious, um, some some real theological, you know, handholds to begin answering those questions. Uh, and, and not, not to say that these are questions that have, that had never been answered or tried to be answered before Rahner, but, um, Rahner's doing a really important work in modern theology in the 20th century to, to present an integrated vision of who God is, um, instead of trying to, to take different pieces of God, uh, you know, as one God, as Trinity, as, as, Redeemer, you know, all these different kinds of things there, we can integrate them precisely because there's this connection between the economic and imminent Trinity. And I was really impressed with this book. I'd highly recommend picking up, I think I read the edition that, that I don't know if there are different translation editions, but I think the one I read was uh, published by Seabury Press, I think. Um, but I, I, like I said, it's not very long. And um, it was a good translation that, that rendered a really important book uh, accessible to me that I didn't even realize it was. So um, that's, I think, that's where I, I want to wrap up, but just keep keep in mind, like, that axiom, the economic trinity is the imminent trinity. Um, it's got some, you, you can take it in wonky ways if you just take it by itself, uh, but the way Rahner presents it, I think it's really compelling, it's really convincing, and it's really important for doing Trinitarian theology uh, as we're trying to grapple with and wrestle through the reality of who God is as he's revealed himself to us. Yeah. Well, that was great. And I honestly don't have really anything else to add, but just wanted to, to give Christopher that shout out again for, for recommending that we sort of delve into the, the lives of, of different Roman Catholic believers. I believe, I don't remember like what episode began the engagement, but he we had we went back and forth with Christopher a number of times chatting about like, hey, like, he, you know, he really appreciated the things that we're doing, especially the, you know, unity and diversity idea. He's like, but you guys should, you know, chat about Catholicity, um, but like Protestant and Catholic Catholicity, like where do we have common ground? So this was, I think, a good way to begin that conversation. And hopefully we have even more conversations going forward. So that thanks Christopher for the recommendation and uh, yeah, we appreciate it for sure. Um, I think a fitting prayer is this prayer titled the Trinity. It is the first prayer in the Valley of vision three and one, one in three God of my salvation, heavenly father, blessed son, eternal spirit. I adore thee as one being one essence, one God in three distinct persons for bringing sinners to thy knowledge and to thy kingdom. O Father, thou hast loved me and sent Jesus to redeem me. O Jesus, thou hast loved me and assumed my nature, shed thine own blood to wash away my sins, wrought righteousness to cover my unworthiness. O Holy Spirit, thou hast loved me and entered my heart, implanted there eternal life, revealed to me the glories of Jesus. 
Three persons in one God, I bless and praise thee for love so unmerited, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty to save the lost and raise them to glory. O Father, I thank thee that in fullness of grace thou hast given me to Jesus to be his sheep, jewel, portion. O Jesus, I thank thee that in fullness of grace thou hast accepted, espoused, bound me. O Holy Spirit, I thank thee that in fullness of grace thou hast exhibited Jesus as my salvation, implanted faith within me, subdued my stubborn heart, made me one with him forever. O Father, thou art enthroned to hear my prayers. O Jesus, thy hand is outstretched to take my petitions. O Holy Spirit, thou art willing to help my infirmities, to show me my need, to supply words, to pray within me, to strengthen me, that I faint not in supplication. O triune God, who commandeth the universe, thou hast commanded me to ask for those things that concern thy kingdom and my soul. Let me live and pray as one baptized into the threefold name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Lucas. Thanks for uh, having this conversation and, and sort of reimagining how we do Christians of history. I'm excited to kind of do this format going going into the future. I know historically, as we've done the, the, the short form Friday episodes, like this is two or three times as long as that. And uh, th- those were fun, but we lacked the conversational piece. We lacked some of the back and forth because it was just one person giving a, a high level view of somebody's life. So hopefully going forward, if you guys have enjoyed this format, um, we'll be able to continue doing it. And if you like this, let us let us know some people you want us to cover. Maybe you want us to go back and revisit someone in more detail. Maybe there's someone you're aware of that we have yet to cover, just like Christopher recommended Carl Rahner. Um, let us know. But if you if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. Uh, you're welcome to send us an email as well at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we, again, we love your feedback, questions, episode ideas, whatever it might be. Uh, but until next time, peace out. See you. And sorry for the 420 joke. Ha, ha, ha.